Welcome to In the Wake with Whitley. Here on this podcast, we cover mental health, life lessons, mindset growth, and tons of storytelling. Together, we'll laugh, we'll cry, and everything in between. I'm your host, Whitley Rogers. I'm a certified life coach and mental health advocate. I'm also a survivor of sexual and mental abuse. I'm here to open up those conversations that are normally uncomfortable or hush-hush in society. Keep listening for bits and pieces of my personal journey and insights along with other interviewees. All right, I am back this week with a very special guest here with me today. I am so pumped to dive into this topic today. We haven't quite covered this to the full extent on the podcast yet, but we need to. So I have Shannon here with me today to talk about gender and sexuality. So I will let you introduce yourself a little bit first. Tell us who you are and what is your story? Thank you so much for inviting me to be a guest on your podcast. I really love what you're doing and I feel honored to be a part of it. I think you have some really cool stuff happening on your podcast, stuff that needs to happen and and stuff that needs to be talked about. So I'm a psychotherapist. I specialize in gender and sexuality and consensual non-monogamy. I have a private practice in Tampa, Florida. So I treat clients who are looking to better understand themselves and their relationships while also kind of like increasing their insight and ability to connect with themselves and others Mm -hmm. on a romantic level, a platonic level, and a professional level. The world in our life is all relationships, and I think people tend to forget that. And I think it's really cool how gender and sexuality play a really big role in the way we interact with other people. So that's kind of the premise of why and how I even got started in specializing in gender and sexuality to begin with. I actually got married really early. So I got (laughs) married when I was 18. I'm actually, I'm still married, believe it or not, to the same person. (laughs) Which a lot of people are both shocked that I got married at 18 and I'm somehow still married at nearly 32. But by getting married at such a young age, I had this like really unique experience because, you know, when you get married that early, it can be either really great and work out or really terrible. Right. (laughs) Early on, I began to realize that like the roles in my partner and I's relationship were basically the complete opposite of what I had been conditioned and learned to believe that they should be solely based on our gender and what society had taught us gender to be. So then, you know, I was a a psych major in undergrad and then eventually moved on to clinical counseling for my master's degree. And then once I became a psychotherapist, you know, well, really it started in in grad school. I became just enthralled with like gender and sexuality and ended up doing my own like independent studies in grad school because I felt like they didn't have exactly the courses that I wanted to explore. So I kind (laughs) of created my own. You know, I realized that this is something that's really interesting and something that needs to be spoken about. A lot of people are afraid to talk about it. And the concept of gender and sexuality, more specifically how those two aspects of ourselves influence the way we show up, not only in the world, but in our relationships is really what kind of like fuels me and inspires me to do what I do. Wow. Yes, it is much needed work and such beautiful work. So I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate you wanting to talk about it. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I'm excited. So 
before we dive into this topic today, let's get some clarifications and maybe some definitions out of the way. So for people that may use these terms interchangeably or incorrectly, can you describe to us the difference between gender and sexuality? Yes, I am so glad that you're asking this question. (laughs) I'm so happy. You know, to be really succinct, gender is how we see and experience ourselves. And sexuality is who we are physically, emotionally, and or romantically attracted to. And the terms gender and sex are also used interchangeably, but also used interchangeably incorrectly. So I kind of want to go over that term and those differences as well real quick. So and sex and sexuality are, are two different things as well. So sex is our biological anatomy. So this is the label that doctors give us or assign to us at birth based on the external characteristics of our genitals. So when and you hear someone say sex assigned at birth, they're referring to the label a doctor gave them when they were born. Okay. So you might hear people say, oh, they're AFAB or I'm AMAB. And that is what they're referring to. So AFAB is assigned female at birth and AMAB is assigned male at birth. Since gender is how we see and experience ourselves, if someone's gender doesn't match or align with the sex they were assigned at birth, they would fall under the transgender umbrella. Another important characteristic and clarification to make in terms of of all these terms that that people tend to get confused is a person's gender does not define their sexuality or or even remotely correlate with their sexuality, really. So if someone is transgender, that doesn't mean they're gay. They might be gay, but it's not an automatic indicator, which people get confused about. So usually how I explain this to people is, you know, so if a trans woman is attracted to men, they would likely identify as straight. And then if a trans man is attracted to men, they would likely identify as gay. All right. That makes sense. So that was super helpful. Thank you for clearing that up. So let's begin unpacking why gender and sexuality are actually on a spectrum Mm -hmm. rather than the boxes and binaries that we've put them in. I know this is like still a very controversial topic (laughs) and that a lot of people get really confused and don't quite understand. So what does this spectrum look like for both gender and then sexuality? Oh my gosh, I feel like that alone is a whole podcast episode. (laughs) (laughs) But you're right. You know, I I think we're in this part of life and society, thankfully, where, you know, you and I are clearly talking about this on a podcast. So that's a good sign. We are making strides. We are moving forward in a good direction, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of decompartmentalizing these things and taking away these, these boxes and not forcing binaries onto people. So the spectrum of both gender and sexuality sexuality is is so robust. And and I think an important thing to remember is that it's also ever-changing and adapting and growing. You know, as you and I talked today in June of 2021, the spectrum as it stands today is probably going to be incredibly different than the spectrum as it is 10 years from now, which I think is so incredible and cool. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, the boxes and binaries that you're referring to are honestly just super antiquated, right? So we're going to continue to evolve as, as a human race we need to acknowledge that and we need to be willing to explore what gender and sexuality really mean to society and what they mean to us as individuals on a really personal level. To kind of answer your question more specifically, I'll answer them both separately just to organize my own thoughts. (laughs) To start with like the spectrum of sexuality, I usually start by telling people about Alfred Kinsey. So Alfred Kinsey is a biologist and or was a biologist and sexologist. He's since passed. He founded what's known today is the Kinsey Institute, which some people might be 
aware of. There's a lot of articles and studies that come out that say, oh, the Kinsey Institute found this or the Kinsey Institute is saying this. But his research helped to inform what is also known as the Kinsey scale, which was kind of this Mm -hmm. like first development of removing binaries. This is really cool. It was created in 1948, which who was talking about like gender and like (laughs) sexuality at that level back then? Like Alfred Kinsey was. It was really cool. But yeah, his goal and his research essentially showed that sexuality isn't just these like two or three categories that we tend to know, which is homosexuality, heterosexuality, and bisexuality. Kinsey showed that, you know, while some people's sexuality can stay constant over time, the majority of us like didn't. The Kinsey scale and the spectrum that he created actually uses a seven point scale to identify people's sexuality. So the scale goes from zero to seven. And if you're zero on the scale, you are basically strictly heterosexual. If you're six on the scale, then you're strictly homosexual. So clearly, like, I love this because, you know, the one to five range is really where sexual fluidity exists. And there's so much more room for that spectrum and that that fluidity within that scale. As a human species, we tend to think in very black and white thinking because it's comfortable for us and it's safe. And I think Kinsey did something really remarkable even back then by creating something that is definitely not black and white. There's no actual like Kinsey test that exists that you can go take, but there are lots of cool kind of iterations of it online. If you just Google, you know, Kinsey test, something will come up because the way their research assigned these sexuality spectrum numbers was based on someone's sexual history. And some of the tests that are out there are really cool because they, maybe you don't have like a really broad sexual history. So you're worried, well, oh, if I went and took this online test or whatever, that it wouldn't be accurate. But the tests that are out there also focus on like fantasies and thoughts and desires. So you can go take the test and see where you fall, even if you don't have a ton of sexual experience, which I think is really cool. I tend to go take the test every like year or two. And I I find that I tend to fluctuate in between two points all the time, which yeah, it's so cool to be able to see like, oh, like this year I'm a four. Last year I was a five. I wonder what, <laughs> what, I wonder what I'm going to be next year. So yeah, that's really cool. Whereas, you know, the spectrum of gender is a little bit more complex than the spectrum of sexuality, especially as we kind of continue to increase research on the topic. So the spectrum of gender is similar to the spectrum of sexuality in that it shows us that gender is also on a continuum, but extending from the binary of male to the binary of female and masculine and feminine. And and then these middle ranges are even outside of those ranges where, you know, with the Kinsey scale, it was like, okay, you could be zero to six. The gender spectrum is, okay, you could be either male, female, or somewhere even off the charts. So this would include something like non-binary or agender, gender queer, or, you know, that umbrella term that I mentioned before of, of transgender, which to explain the umbrella term a little bit, basically anyone who doesn't feel like the sex they were assigned at birth, if they feel like it doesn't match their gender, they would just fall under that transgender umbrella. So there's just so many different terms and and ways to identify gender wise. And if you want, like I can explain like non-binary, gender, gender queer. Yeah, yeah, I love that. If you're not familiar, non-binary basically is is a term that you're probably hearing more often. A Mm -hmm. lot of celebrities are are coming out now as non-binary. I believe Sam Smith recently came out. It might have been a year or two ago. They acknowledge that their pronouns are they, them. Demi Lovato recently came out as non-binary. Someone else came out recently too. I'm drawing a blank. I'm not super up to date on pop culture. (laughs) But basically when you identify as non-binary, you're neither male nor female or a mixture of both at the same time. 
And then agender is this feeling of genderless. Basically, you can't feel any sort of connection to any gender. And then genderqueer, just the term queer, which people tend to to use, but prior it was a derogatory term, but we've really kind of like taken it back and owned that term now within the community. And people who are genderqueer tend to feel like they're a combination of in between or even beyond genders, which is what I was talking about kind of a minute ago about being beyond the spectrum. So So if you're someone who's kind of interested in trying to figure out where you fall on this spectrum, there's actually some really cool resources out there. Something that I tend to use a lot in my practice is the gender unicorn or the gender bread person. And so basically the gender unicorn and the gender bread person are these visual representations of the spectrums we're talking about. And you can Mm -hmm. move your cursor over and like figure out where on this line that feels like most comfortable to you based on where you're at that day, like with your gender. Because I think it's also important to acknowledge that even in terms of gender identity, we don't have to put ourselves in a box. Like maybe one day we feel more feminine and one day we feel more masculine or or one day, you know, you're like, I don't feel like either of those. And I just want to exist as I am in this moment. And I think that's a good reminder because gender and sexuality are are constantly in this fluid motion. I love that you're providing so many resources. I will have them linked in the show notes for anyone that wants to follow up with those. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So thank you again for like making those clarifications and explaining those different terms for us. I really appreciate it. So let's dive a little deeper into gender. What is the difference between gender identity and gender expression? I'm nerding out that you're asking that. (laughs) That's one of the biggest confusing things right now, especially for parents. I do a lot of work in my practice working with gender diverse kids and gender diverse teens. I see trans and non-binary and genderqueer adults, but I do a lot of work with kids and teens. And so the Mm -hmm. parents tend to come in and they get so confused about this concept between gender identity and gender expression. And and understandably, because, you know, the parents are coming from a totally different time where this wasn't even allowed to be spoken about. So sometimes, I mean, I can spend an entire session like exploring this (laughs) with families alone. But to answer your question, you know, we we know that gender identity, I said earlier, is how we feel about ourselves internally right? It's how we we see and experience ourselves. Gender expression is how we choose to present ourselves to the outside world. Hmm. It's this external sense of self. This could be ever-changing. And I think that's like a really good thing to remember is that this also doesn't have to be put in a box. Gender expression could be how we dress, the pronouns we use, the names we choose. Sometimes it's even our body language or how we carry ourselves. You know, the main types of expressions that we all know would be, you know, masculine presenting or feminine presenting or androgynous, which is basically kind of that middle ground. I think it's also important to note that someone's gender identity doesn't have to align with their gender expression. And this is where people get kind of confused, especially parents. They're like, I don't understand. If my child identifies as male, why are they still wanting to paint their nails? Why do they still want to wear jewelry? Why do they want pink hair? And it's one of those things. It's like, oh, all of those have been gendered, not by you, but 
by society. And then in turn, you know, you've learned that those things would be considered traditionally feminine. And and why? Why does painting our nails have to be this feminine thing? That can, I said, can be a, a whole session sometimes because, you know, it confuses people. And the way someone expresses their gender doesn't always have to indicate what someone's gender is. So this doesn't just apply to trans folks either. I think it's important to realize that even cisgender folks can have one gender identity, but then choose to express themselves, express their gender in a a different way. So I guess I'll give a a personal example of this. Maybe this will will help. So so I was assigned female birth and, and for the most part, I identify as a woman, but I also embrace and honor the fact that I have a ton of like masculine energy. I feel more often than not way more masculine than I do feminine. That's kind of how I choose to express myself. I, I don't traditionally act or dress in a way that society would deem feminine or, or right. ladylike. So when it comes to gender expression, the idea of like wearing dresses, for example, because that's what we've deemed and, and gendered as, as feminine or, or female, you know, that type of, of attire is something that honestly really makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> so I tend to go through phases where I might feel like like maybe I do want to express myself more femininely and maybe I'll wear, I don't know, more floral flowy things. But, you know, more often than not, I tend to feel like it's like I'm acting. It's kind of awkward for me. I just enjoy like wearing things that are maybe just more subdued and not really like in your face feminine. I think that's a really important thing to be able to embrace because society tells us that, oh, if you were assigned female at birth and you identify as a woman, this is the role you have to play. We have assigned that to you. You must wear pink. You must enjoy girly things. You must do and act function in a traditionally feminine way. And it's, it's so suffocating. And it's important to remember that expression, that, that word alone is literally just, you're expressing yourself. Right. Maybe someone who identifies as male and wears pink and wants to paint their nails, maybe they're just a really creative person and it's a way for them to tap into their creativity. So I think redefining the way that we view gender identity and gender expression is really important because it's really just a sense of freedom and it's a sense of creativity and a sense of confidence. Wow. wow. I'm like soaking up everything you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) So if I'm getting it right, the gender roles, the binary that society has created to be, quote, normal, would fall under gender expression, that people are playing into the roles that they feel they are obligated to play, whether that matches up with their gender identity or not, correct? Yeah, basically, this falls right into the way we're marketed to, right? I mean, think about (laughs) when you're growing up and you are child or even today, children who walk into a store, there's a section for boys, there's a section for girls and even sports. Sports are, are a thing that are, mm-hmm. that's only marketed towards boys. And I played soccer growing up and my dad was a coach and he really wanted me to be on this team that he coached, but it was an all boys team. It was kind of an issue to, to get me approved to be on this all boys team, despite the fact that I could hold my own and play just as well as these boys. You know, I, sometimes they think it's like a size thing, but I just like grew faster. I was always taller than despite being short. Now I'm only five, two growing up. I was <laughs> taller than all my peers. So you know, I was just as tall as these boys and I could totally hold my own. But even then it was like a thing. And I remember being a child and being like, why am I not allowed? Or why are these people telling me I can't lay with the boys? Are they saying right. I'm not as good as the boys? Like, so I have to go play with the girls, but imagine what that does 
does to a child because we're basically saying, nope, you have to be over here and you have to be over there and no questions asked. So like, you're not good enough to do this or you're not as strong as the boys or, mm. you know, they tell the boys, oh no, you'll hurt the girls, which just perpetuates you know, this idea that men and boys are are harmful and we can't interact in, in the same activity because, you know, they're stronger and they're not as emotional as girls and they might do something to hurt girls and make them cry. Right. And it's just so harmful to our overall sense of self. It really is. I have definitely seen that play out in my life. I was a dancer. I had boys on my dance team and I remember that them being like bullied and harassed at school or even in the studio, people telling them that they were gay or that they weren't man enough and all these Mm -hmm. different things. And, you know, some were and others were not and had girlfriends and just were really creative and really talented dancers and were able to express their emotions in the studio. And so, yeah, I've seen that play out where these sports or these activities and hobbies and and just personal likes are gendered and make it mean something more than it actually does. And my little cousin, who is like three, he loves Elsa, loves, loves, loves Elsa and Frozen. And he still has like long hair because they haven't cut it ever since Mm -hmm. he was a baby. And aunts and uncles not understanding that and making fun of him or saying things to his mom about that he's going to grow up and be transgender or that critiquing her parenting and different things like that, where it's like, actually, he is three and he's a kid. where he just likes what he likes and he hasn't picked up on these assigned gender roles that society (laughs) has placed on kids. And so it's not confusing to him yet. He genuinely loves playing with his Elsa dolls and that's okay. (laughs) Like it doesn't have to mean anything more than that. I love that you said that because, you know, it makes me think of parents are, are usually saying, you know, you can do and be anything in this world. Right? Like they'll look at you, they'll look look at their children and say, you can do and be anything. In one breath, that's what they say. But then in the next breath, they say, oh, but no, you can't do or be that because that's for girls. You know, even though like I want you to express yourself and be who you want to be and do what you want to do. Oh, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to have long hair because that could mean something that I'm not comfortable with. And what must that do to a child? I mean, we're essentially setting them up to be insecure and riddled with shame. I mean, we need to really take a look at how we are talking to children about this and what we are both inadvertently and advertently teaching them about how they're allowed to exist in the world because behaviors learned and the very first relationships are our parents and our family right. members and believe it or not and whether someone's willing to acknowledge this this is where we learn how to view ourselves our interactions with our family and our parents teach us how we are going to be seen in the world So if your parents and your family are putting you down or making you feel uncomfortable about your appearance or the way that you're choosing to express yourself, you're developing an internal narrative that something is wrong with me and the way that I am is inherently wrong and I should hide that. I think it is just chalked up to, I'm doing this to protect you. I'm doing this Mm, out of love. I don't want you to be made fun of at school. I don't want you to 
do this or whatever, that it's this love and this concern and worry, but it's really just projecting your own fears and your own insecurities or just Mm -hmm. not understanding these different terms and spectrums. And yeah, it is putting your child in a box or shaming them and making them feel like something about them is inherently bad or wrong. And it's just done under the guise of love, but it's actually just fear. You make such a good point. And you saying that reminds me of something that I I tend to work on with parents. You know, when their kids come in and their kids are exploring like their gender and their sexuality, I will have or, or try to have like a separate session with the parents where I say, all right, let's talk about you. What's your experience with gender? What's your experience with sexuality? How do you feel about your own gender? How do you feel about your sexuality? I mean, 90% of the time, there's so much internalized shame and fear, exactly what you're saying. And I think it's important to be gentle with the parents, especially because it's like, listen, yes, you're trying to protect your child. And thank God you're trying to protect your child, right? But (laughs) this isn't the most successful way to protect them. So let's try to figure out a way that you can explore these, these insecurities and this discomfort that you have in a way that doesn't continue this this cycle of of shame because that's really what it is this is a whole other episode but I mean there's you know (laughs) generational trauma and toxic ways of communicating that are passed down from family member to family member and at some point someone has to step in and say oh this actually isn't effective and if I want to change something I have to change the way I'm interacting with myself and the way I'm interacting with my kids and that includes with gender and sexuality specifically the way that we are raising boys today. Yes, that was what I was going to ask is how gendering everything from clothes to hobbies to colors plays a part in toxic masculinity and misogyny. Everything we've said about like setting kids up for shame and and a feeling of inadequacy, right? I mean, this like gendering is, it's what creates toxic masculinity because it's a complete shutdown of creativity Mm -hmm. and curiosity, right? It's that main ingredient, the majority of, of why cis men in particular, and I should define that real quick. I didn't define that earlier. So when I say cis men, cis women, cisgender is the term that, that we use when the sex you were assigned at birth aligns with your gender. If you're assigned male at birth and your gender is man, uh, you'd be a cis man. So, you know, cis men feel like they're only allowed to be happy or sad. And that's a direct correlation to toxic masculinity and the way that we've taught them to exist in the world based on gender roles. It's so, so harmful because, you know, not only is it this contributing factor in like their lack of emotional awareness or permission to feel in men, it's also teaching women and girls that they're inherently weak or fragile. And it forces men to view women in that light. And the opposite, it forces women to view men as these like forever powerful, unfeeling, unfazed beings who are like (laughs) constantly ready to fight and protect. And, you know, the reality of it is men are just as scared as women and they're just as sad. They're just as anxious. Only we don't allow them to talk about it. Right. There is definitely a huge stigma around men's mental health and mental illness and just not being okay or being emotional. Like it's chalked up as feminine or too girly and fragile and weak. And these things can cause problems even within heterosexual relationships. Because then you have a man who is playing into this toxic masculinity role because that's how they've been 
conditioned and they feel that they're obligated to, they don't want to be considered weak or emotional or girly and feminine because they have assigned those things to mean weak, fragile, not as good, inferior. And Mm -hmm. so then they are, whether they know it or not, seeing their wife as inferior Mm -hmm. and weak and fragile and all of those things. And then you have a woman who views their husband or partner Mm -hmm. as, you know, this powerful, manly person who can't ever catch a break and can't ever express their emotions or be vulnerable and emotionally available because they have to be a man and pull Mm -hmm. themselves up by their bootstraps and all these things. And then it's like, that's a barrier to connection. I love that you just said that's a barrier to connection because we're forcing men to bottle up and compartmentalize Mm -hmm. everything they feel and experience. And imagine how destabilizing that must feel. You know, no wonder there's this stereotype that men are just these angry, violent creatures. I mean, sure, like there's plenty out there, but like at the same time, like anger is a facade. It's a secondary emotion. I love when men come into my office and, and they're angry and I look at them and I say, okay, yeah, you're mad, but that's just what you're showing me. Mm-hmm. There's different things behind anger. You know, I've had men sit on my couch and say, I've never been able to cry like this. Like, thank you. And it's like, oh my God, how sad is that? That we have literally gendered everything from clothing and toys to emotions. It really is so disheartening. (laughs) You know, going back to the clothing thing, like that's so bizarre to me. You know, imagine what it must do like psychologically to, let's say a little boy who, Mm -hmm. you know, has this like inherently creative brain and he's enthralled with like, I don't know, textures and colors and like in the experience of like frilly clothing and toys that have maybe been labeled for the for the girls. And by telling him it's not for him because he's not a girl, we're saying you're not allowed to like these things. And if you do, something's wrong with you, you know, and that's where it really all begins. And the same can totally be said for girls, you know, thinking about a girl who's bored and annoyed at the idea of only having Barbies to play with or like princess makeup kits. And she really just wants to like build Hot Wheels tracks and like create little towns with like Mm -hmm. Jenga blocks or something. We're stifling creativity. And, you know, we're basically saying, oh, you might actually become a future engineer architect, but yeah, that field's not for you. Play with your dolls and your Barbies because you're supposed to take care of kids. It's terrible. It's almost sending the message to children that you will be happier if you fit into these roles and if you play it safe. You can't be happy if you follow where your heart is leading you. And I have another example from that same aunt, but another one of her children who they were going to the store to buy new shoes. And he was drawn to the girls section where there were these purple rainbow, like sparkly light up shoes and he was so excited about them and just really wanted them and when she was sharing this with me she was like within me I kind of panicked because then my fear and my own like conditioning came up of what if he's gonna get made fun of at school what are the other kids gonna say to him what are parents gonna say about me and let me just like push him towards the quote boy shoes and something that will fit what society has deemed as manly or (laughs) something that is more appropriate right and then she just 
noticed that he kind of shut down and he just wasn't mm-hmm. as excited and he didn't light up and he just kept being drawn to these shoes. And so she called her husband and he, her husband was like, okay, let him get the shoes. Like it's not yeah. that big of a deal and bought the shoes for him. And when he wore them, just so happy and so mm. excited and just lit up and was so excited to go and show everyone his shoes and show <laughs> them how they lit up and how bright and fun they were and had no idea the fear that she was feeling or had no inkling of that shame that society was trying to place on him. These kids don't pick up on that yet. And they don't see these things, these gendered hobbies or toys or colors or clothes in this way. They're just drawn to things because they genuinely like them. And that's how they want to express them. Exactly. I mean, what six-year-old doesn't want a cool of like purple light up shoes? (laughs) I mean, that sounds awesome. And I would say like develop mentally that kid's on level like yeah they should be (laughs) wanting and gravitating towards something that's like catching their attention it's lighting up it's sparkly it's colorful I'm my brain is growing and all of that stuff is stimulating I would be concerned if the kid was only wanting to play with a single white baseball (laughs) you'd be like why is this child not showing interest or curiosity like what's happening so I think that's important thing to remember too is just let kids be kids essentially what you're saying it's it's so correct as as parents and as adults and just as a society we are putting so much pressure on the idea of gendering things and and making our children be what we feel like they should be it's harmful it is it's assigning so much deeper meaning to things that don't necessarily have to have that deeper meaning to them (laughs) they're a pair of shoes and they light up that's cool I want a pair of light up shoes like So taking that a little further, what does it mean to be gender neutral? And do you believe this approach to be more helpful? I feel like a few years ago, this concept of like gender neutrality was a little bit more prominent, especially like in the news. I think parents were kind of wanting to talk about it more. And especially like more more progressive parents were starting to kind of raise their children gender neutral and it became more prominent. And I, I think that's really cool. And I think the concept essentially of gender neutrality is basically like looking through a lens in which we view humans as just being inherently capable no matter their gender. So it's encouraging what we're talking about, expression and experience without limitation, without barriers, without boxes, without those binaries. And I said, we tend to see this with parents who choose to raise their kids as gender neutral until maybe the child's old enough to to share, you know, what they feel their gender to be. And for a lot of people that can be, can be controversial, especially with people who haven't done a lot of research or are really confused. But the truth is, you know, as a whole, we are incredibly uneducated and and the research is still kind of behind on on gender. And the fact that, you know, something we haven't even mentioned yet, I'm just now realizing is, especially in terms of gender neutrality, is the concept of intersex people. Having people who are intersex born with the anatomy of both male and female anatomy. So for example, having their sex and genders defined for them by physicians, just solely based on 
on the appearance of their genitals only to have these children grow up and and be the opposite gender of whatever that doctor chose for them. I feel like that's kind of like evidence enough that we have no right to be asserting our own gendered views onto others and, and how this concept of gender neutrality can be really helpful because, for example, an intersex child been able to grow up in a more gender neutral environment, they wouldn't be this adult saying, you know, I've been suffering my -hmm. whole life because a doctor made a decision for me. You know, on the other hand, I think many people believe that their gender is a really important aspect of their identity and they they derive a sense of meaning and empowerment from their gender. And I'm I'm totally on board with that. And, And hopefully they do that in a really healthy sense, you know, not this toxic masculinity sense that we were talking about, but personally and professionally don't believe in policing people's genders. So, you know, I think that we shouldn't take the concept of gender away from those people entirely. But I do think we need to normalize the idea of gender neutrality and make it a topic and an experience that is just, you know, normal. And it is part of the the world. And to take that a little bit further, though, from a societal and systemic approach, because we're really kind of just focusing on gender and gender neutrality kind of up until this point on, you know, how we feel about ourselves and how we experience gender and relationships and how that creates the narrative and our internal sense of self, because that's kind of the method from which I practice clinically. But from a societal and systemic approach, I do believe that gender neutrality is helpful. And I, especially if we're talking about, you know, the disparity in pay among genders and the limitations that are imposed upon, you know, people either overtly or covertly, you know, I'm thinking about even just my field of, of psychotherapy, finding male therapists, for example, is, is relatively rare because we have been told women are the ones who talk about feelings. Women are the yep. ones who feel. Women are the caretakers. So that field is for women. You know, thankfully, though, more and more men seem to be getting into the field, but traditionally they wouldn't. And, you know, that alone kind of perpetuates the idea that men don't and should not feel, which again is, right. you know, dangerous and damaging. So we looked and viewed careers and society and just the systems within society from a gender neutral standpoint. Oh my God. Like imagine we'd live in a utopia. <laughs> no, I mean, I can't even fathom just how freeing and empowering that would be. So to one degree, gender neutrality is an incredibly important and something we need to embrace. But on the other hand, people really being connected to, to their gender is also an important part of their own sense of self. Yeah, I think your thoughts are very wise and very beautiful. Thank you. So what does gender equality mean to you? And what do you believe that looks like in the future? Gender equality is just simply being able to exist as a human being, right? Like feeling and being free to just interact with enjoy and express ourselves in ways that elicits both internal joy and comfort. Mm-hmm. You know, it's also being able to exist in the world, knowing and being treated as though we are inherently worthy just simply because we are. I've always kind of like viewed myself as a realist, that kind of like middle ground between optimism and <laughs> pessimism, right? But my answer to this is probably going to sound kind of pessimistic. <laughs> so in terms of like, 
you asked, what does the the future look like? I don't know if we're going to see gender equality in our lifetime. I feel like that's the realism in me. And and maybe people will say, no, that's, that's your pessimism coming out. But you know, we, we have made some really incredible strides. You know, we have a woman as vice president, a woman of color, no less as vice president, but you know, until we learn to commit to raising our children with the knowledge that, that their sex and their gender are not an inherent indicator of their worth, or their abilities, we won't have gender equality. Yeah, you're so right. So I feel like I could talk to you (laughs) (laughs) So to kind of wrap up, what do you want listeners to take away from this episode? And maybe what would you say to someone struggling with these things? I really hope that, you know, people kind of take away like a better understanding of gender and sexuality, not only for themselves, but also based on like society as a whole. You know, I hope that that they've maybe developed a sense of curiosity about themselves and maybe those around them and that they're willing to search for a sense of compassion and acceptance for however they feel about themselves and give themselves permission to be able to express themselves and feel their emotions, engage in thought processes in ways that they feel is authentic and empowering regardless of whether or not they feel that they shouldn't based on whether or not society has deemed it gendered. But for someone who may be struggling with their gender or sexuality, you know, I want them to know that you're so not alone and there is absolutely nothing wrong with you. You are exactly as you should be. And I see this a lot in my practice too. So if if you're older and you feel like maybe it's too late to come out about your gender identity or sexuality, or it's too late to even be having these discussions, like you've missed opportunities too. It is never too late. You owe it to yourself to be able to live your life in a way that makes you feel joy and contentment. As far as we are aware, at least, you know, we only have this one human life. (laughs) So stop setting yourself on fire to keep other people warm. You know, that's a phrase in codependency that I use all the time. And we are allowed to do what feels best to us and do what feels right to us and live our own life. So that's like, if you're an adult, please know that. (laughs) Um, If you're, if you're a teen though, I don't, I don't know if you have a lot of teens that listen to your podcast or maybe you have parents who have teens. There's some really cool resources out there and you're also not alone. If you're a parent with a gender diverse or LGB child, I recommend going to pflag.org and finding your local chapter. They offer support groups and resources. And then again, like, you know, if you're an adult and you're trying to figure out your own gender and sexuality, Planned Parenthood offers really great informed consent care and is doing an awesome job at supporting the health of the queer community. Those are just really general resources. You know, if you're someone who's looking for even more like specific resources, maybe based on your specific needs or location, you're totally welcome to reach out to me. Yes, I'll have all of those in the show notes as well. And that's what I was just going to ask is if people want to reach out and connect with you or work with you, where can they find you? So you can find me in a few places. You can check out my private practice. You can go to my website. It's moderncounselor.com. You can learn a little bit more about me there and what I do. I also have an online course that I created for parents and families who have gender diverse children. The course is really, really in depth, something that would probably take like several weeks, if not like a month or more to complete because it's got several TED Talks and documentaries in addition to just the kind of like regular lecture style course material that I've created.
created, but that's also on my website. There will be supplemental workbook created with that soon. So for people who don't have time to participate in an entire lecture style course, the workbook will be available. You can also check me out on my own podcast. I have a podcast called The Tarot Diagnosis that I co-host with my awesome colleague Luna, and we explore the intersection of tarot and mental health. We tend to have conversations very much like you and I had today, but we utilize tarot in this like really secular therapeutic way to help facilitate discussions on topics mental health related, like boundaries and self-acceptance and sexuality and anxiety and relationships. So yeah, those are a few places that you can reach me and hear more about what I'm doing. I love it. Of course, those will be linked as well. So thank you. So my final and last question is always a little song recommendation because personally, I love music. I think it is so powerful and so expressive in capturing what you're feeling or what you're thinking. And so I just want to ask you if you have a song that deeply resonates with you in your story. When you had, had emailed me and we were kind of talking when you had mentioned that you tend to relate with music, especially in like your own kind of like healing journey. I was super excited about that. I thought that was <laughs> such a cool thing. I actually spent a lot of time figuring out what I wanted to share with you. <laughs> I kept going kind of back and forth in between a few different songs, but I realized that honestly, one of my favorite songs that I can listen to on repeat just constantly is it's called I Can Change by Lake Street Drive and it's on their Free Yourself Up album. I feel like it's so relevant to not only the human experience but totally relevant to what we were talking about today in regards to gender and sexuality. I mean some of the lyrics are just so powerful. The song just starts out by saying you know hate casts a long shadow Mm -hmm. and I know that I lie in it and I let it rule my mind from time to time. You know she's trying to escape this old battle. It's really about her or just the listener going back and forth between this fear of the hate that is being cast upon her and really striving to be true to herself and releasing herself from old patterns and not repeating history. It's so powerful and I love it. And you should check it out. I can't wait to listen. Thank you. Thank Thank you again for being here. You were so wise and brought so much to the table. I really am just like soaking up every word. So your work is so needed. And yeah, thank you. Thank you. I mean, I so appreciate what you are doing. And I just think it's so cool. I've listened to several of your episodes and you just have really awesome topics for people to dive into and things that need to be explored on so many different levels. So thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to to be a small part of that. Of course, of course. So that is all we have for you guys today. Thanks for listening and tune in next time. I hope this podcast left you feeling empowered, better understood, and less alone in this crazy thing called life. If you like what you hear, leave a rating or review and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening and tune in next time.